not that long since I've been up here. Um, this idea of switching gears in a couple minutes uh, has had me a little worried, I'll, I'll admit. However, some of what we're getting ready to talk about has a lot to do with what we just talked about. So, we just talked about the subject of identity, specifically Christian identity, and I'd like to move on now and talk about the subject of attitudes. So, as we grow in God, God changes our attitudes, and so I'd like to talk this morning, or yeah, still this morning, about the attitudes that we have. And to begin with that, I'd like to tell you a story <coughs> from my own life. Some years ago, I decided that I would run. Now, I don't know what got into my head, but I thought that you know, running would be this fun way of, of just keeping in good shape, and and it would you know maybe maybe some weight loss in there, and we could just add all these things together, and so I would get up in the mornings and I would go out running. I did not enjoy running, uh, but eventually, as I ran, um, I would go to events. I ran a couple of 10Ks, and I ran some 5Ks, and, and I'm not a fast runner. You know, I'm more like a Cliff Young Shuffle kind of guy, right? So I didn't go real fast, but the events were kind of fun because there were lots of other people, and I'm a very social person, in case you haven't already noticed. And so being around other people, even if you didn't really get to talk to them because you, you know, couldn't talk because you're breathing so heavily, it was still kind of, it was still pleasant, right? So as I ran, the, the local town there that I lived in, Monticello, Georgia, had every year, the first weekend of November, they had a, a deer festival. And along with the deer festival, they had a deer dash. It was a it was a, a 5K event, and it was right there in my town, just a couple miles away. And so I got up early, and I went. I already paid my entry fee, and I went to run in the deer dash. And you know, I got there, I got started running. And I'll be honest, it was an off morning. Now, now even on an on morning, I'm not a fast runner. But on an off morning, I'm even slower. And I got halfway through this thing, and I came across, across the part that they lovingly know as Heartache Hill. Now, I'm sure you can't imagine why it would be called Heartache Hill, so I'll help you with that. It's a hill, and it gives you heartache. This thing is just long, and it goes on for forever. And, and I started running up this, and I'm like, all right, that's fine. I can make it. You know, I haven't been running fast anyway. So surely at the pace I go, I can make it up this hill. I got halfway up, and I'm like, you know what? I've never done this before in a race, but I'm walking for a bit. So I just, I did. I just slowed it down, and I walked. And, and I tried to, you know, walk at a friendly, fast pace or whatever, but I, I walked up this hill, and, and people were passing me, and, you know, I'm kind of hiding my face, right? And so but I keep going, and I plug away, and I make it all the way through the race and to the finish line. Great. Event was done. Wonderful. So I walk off and I'm beginning to enjoy the, the festivities. And, and a, a young friend of mine that went to our church, you know, a young guy, he was uh, maybe 15 years old, he also was running in the race. And he's fast. This boy's like lightning. Um, he comes over to me and he said, hey, did, did you know that, that you're in second place for your age group? 
So I go over to the board, and sure enough, it has names there, and the race is already finished. You know, the people are all in, and there's there's a first place in ages. 30 to 35, and then there's a second place, and it says Ron Strzok, and I'm like, what in the world? Like, apparently there are no other runners in the county that are age 30 to 35, you know? I'm serious, a wheelchair could have beat me. I'm, I mean, it wouldn't have taken anything, and and I, I was even surprised that there was a third place on there, because I'm like, could there be anyone slower, right? And so... When it came time to give out the awards, they gave out awards, and so I still, to this day, on my on my little on my dresser, I have this little little, little deer head that says "Deer Dash, Second Place, Age Category 30 to 35." Thank God it doesn't say my time. <laughs> now, as I thought about though, that, though, I thought, you know what? I wonder how much more it would have taken for me to get first place. If I already got to second place, like, surely it wouldn't take that much more for me to just dip on into first place. I read an interesting study a while back. It was some research done by a professor named Vicki Medvek. Uh, she's a professor at the Northwestern University, and she was studying Olympic medalists. And what she discovered is fascinating. She discovered that bronze medalists are happier and, and more pleased with their bronze medal than silver medalists are. It's, right? We all know it's gold and silver and bronze, right? Bronze is third place. What she found that she studied was that the bronze medalists were just happy that they had placed. The silver medalists were all upset that they hadn't done better and gotten gold. Now, that to me brought up something that's really fascinating about the way that we as people work. And that is that ultimately, because you would think, within reason, that gold would be the happiest, silver would be the second happiest, and bronze would be the third happiest. But that's not the case. Gold is the happiest, bronze is second, and silver is third. Which means, which means that our, how we feel is not actually determined by our circumstances. Instead, it's determined by what we're focusing on. So, I could say by that that our internal attitudes are more important than our external circumstances. Right? What we're focusing on internally is more important than our external circumstances. This clearly proves that because the internal attitude of the, of the silver medalist was, I should have gotten first place. And so they're dissatisfied. Even though in their external circumstances they did better than the bronze person. So we would think that they should be happier. That tells us that internal attitudes are more important than external circumstances. This means that we tend to see what we're looking for. Right? You can already see that with the medalist. I can give you other examples. You've all seen it. Right? You've seen someone that, that chooses not to like someone. You know, they just decide, I'm not going to like that person, and there's nothing they can do right. You've met people like that, right? Maybe you've even been that person sometimes where it's like, there's nothing they can do. And everything that they do, you pick it apart, and it's just like, everything is bad. You've chosen not to like them. Or, or maybe, let's flip the coin. Maybe you've met someone for you young people that has just fallen head over heels in love with someone, and there's nothing that person can do wrong. They just, oh, just angel flies things. Right? You've seen this. 
So our internal attitudes are more important than our external circumstances. I really truly think that if, and I realize we can boil it down in a lot of different ways, but allow me to boil it down this way for a moment, that there are kind of two, parts, two types of people in the world. So there are complainers, and then there are worshipers. Complainers and worshipers. So complainers can always find something to complain about, and worshipers can always find something to praise God about. And you can have the exact same circumstance and have two different people that have two totally different views. Because one found someone to praise, something to praise God about, and then the other found something to complain about. Exact same circumstance, two totally different views. Now, how do worshipers do it? How do they do it? Well, is it they're born that way? Because if they're just they're, they're born that way, well, then I guess the complainers are stuck. I'm not calling myself a complainer. I'm just trying to, you know, put us all together, right? So I guess we're just stuck then. If we're a complainer, that's nothing we can do. No. No, worshipers don't. They're not born that way. They choose. They make a pre-decision to look for something to praise God about. That's their attitude. Even in the worst of circumstances, they make a pre-decision to look for something to praise God about. Let's look at Acts chapter 16. Please turn there with me. So, I'll give you some background to this story, just a, just a little bit of background. So, Paul and Silas are on their second missionary journey, and they come to the city of Philippi, right? They've got the, they received the Macedonian call, and they come across the city of Philippi. Philippi has something a little interesting about it, and that is that there's not enough Jews there to actually have a synagogue, and so instead, they meet by the river, and the Bible says, where prayer was wont to be made, right? Because it takes ten Jewish men in the city to have a synagogue, and Philippi didn't have ten Jewish men. Which is why it specifically notes that there were a lot of women there at the river, but it doesn't say a lot about the men. They didn't have ten Jewish men there enough to have a synagogue. And so they, they met, and, and as it turned out, as time went on, remember that, that Saul and Silas were followed by this young lady that was taken by the devil, and, and basically this young lady was saying, these are men of God coming to show that Christ is, or, or coming to give Christ salvation, right? And she followed him around and just pronounced this over and over again. And finally, Paul got frustrated, probably not so much because of the message, but just because it was annoying to hear it so many times. And so he turned around and he cast the demon out of her. And her, her the people that owned her, because she was a slave, a servant, the people that owned her were furious because she was making them money. She was a there. She was a, 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 I mean, like, you know, crystal ball kind of person, right? She was, she was making properties for them, and that's how they were making money. And so now they're into their method of income was gone. And so they take Paul and Silas, and they beat them, and they put them in prison. And it says that they've been beaten severely. And I don't know how much you know about a good Roman beating, but they would use the, the, the cat and nine tails, and so they kind of, they, it, it was like, it, well, the, the name is somewhat descriptive. It was a stick, and then on the end, they had like these leather straps, and there were nine of them, and then they had like, like razor chunks on the end of them. And so they flip your back, and then they... Flip that thing, so just kind of just grab skin and pull it right off your back. Painful, exceptionally painful. So picture for me for a second. Now you have Paul and Silas. They've just been 
beaten that way, and then they've been put into the prison. And not just, not, they weren't in the fancy part of the prison. It says that they were worried about them, so they put them in the inner prison, like the, the dungeon of the prison, where no one could escape, right? So now go with me here in Acts 16 to verse 16. It says, and it came to pass, as we went to prayer, oh, I'm sorry, let's not read the whole story, I just told you the whole story. Let's go on down to verse uh, 23. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast and stopped. Their feet are clamped down, they can't move around, their backs are raw and bleeding, and they're sitting, I would imagine, on probably the stone ground. Doesn't specifically say that, but we can use our imagination, right? Then further it says, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. I'm sorry, it says, and at midnight, read along with me, Paul and Silas were whining and complaining about their circumstances, right? Would you read there? No, that's not what it says. It says, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Man, can you imagine the amount of pain that you're in? And it says they prayed and sang praises to God? How many times have I fussed to God about a little thing? And like, God, why? You guys that were here yesterday, you heard my, my lawnmower story, right? That's what I was doing there. I'm like, God, what are you trying to tell me? Right? I wasn't even, I wasn't concentrating at all on what, on, on the greatness of God. I was so caught up in my own circumstances. I truly think that the only way that we can do this, that we can make that pre-decision, is that we have to be able to zoom out on the situation that we're in, and we have to look at the bigger picture. We have to be able to visualize the bigger picture. When I'm complaining or when I'm facing difficulties, it's often really difficult for me to just zoom out and look at the bigger picture. And I'll give you a, a simple and maybe even silly example of this. Years ago when I lived in Georgia, I went hunting one winter and I was out. It was early winter because I don't like the cold weather, and so I'm one of these kind of hunters that would go while it was warm still. And in Georgia, the hunting season started early enough where it was warm still. So I went out hunting, and I was sitting in a tree, and there were no deer that came, but there was something else that came that day, and it was clouds in the sky, and they looked rather menacing. Now, late summer... Technically, probably fall, but it still felt a lot like late summer in Georgia. We can have some of these pop-up storms that come out of nowhere, and they really just hit you with the vengeance. And I'm back there on the way, way far back of our acreage. We had a chicken farm there, and the the way the farm was set up was out by the road with our house, and then you go back to the farm, and then we had the five chicken houses, and then behind that was pasture, and then there was woods. And I was back in the woods behind the pasture. And I'm up in the tree, and this starts to look pretty ugly. And I'm like, ah, it might get rained on. Well, then I heard it coming. You ever hear it coming? Like, you hear the sh- 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 and it's coming your way, right? The rain falling, except this wasn't rain falling. It sounded a lot like hail. And I was like, 
oh, that's going to hurt. I wasn't as bald then, but I went bald really quickly when I started thinking about how that could hurt. So I started to shimmy down out of that tree. I got about halfway down that tree, and sure enough, it was hail. And they were falling big chunks of ice out of the sky. And I don't know if you've ever been hit by a chunk of ice at terminal velocity, but I can tell you, it doesn't feel great. And so I'm getting pelted by these things, and the biggest thing that I'm thinking is, Lord, please don't let one hit my head. I can handle wounds elsewhere, right? And so I began to run because I didn't have a four-wheeler back there. I had walked back there. It was a pleasant day when I had left. Suddenly things took a turn. And so I was so focused. And the thing that went through my head is, i got to get to the house. i just I got to get to the house. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was concentrating on. My mind was just focusing. i got to get to the house. And so I'm running, and it's, it's hail coming down, and the, the hail's being followed by rain, and the rain's just flooding down. And I was like, thank you, God, for stopping the hail. But the rain's coming down. And so then, next thing you know, I'm running. I get up to the chicken houses, and I'm running between the two chicken houses, and the water is flowing through there, and it's coming up over my boots. And going down to fill up my boots, so I'm running slosh, slosh, slosh along with much water inside of my boots as there was outside. And I'm plowing through this water. And I'm like, I've got to make it to the house. And so I'm running, you know, as fast as I can. And I get up the hill to the house. And, and I get inside. And I was telling mom and dad, I was like, oh, it was terrible. And dad looked at me and was like, why don't you stop at the chicken house? That was much, much further back that way. <laughs> i got to stop there and save myself a whole mess of trouble. See? We get so caught up in our circumstances that we forget to zoom out and look at the big picture. If I really thought about the big picture, I'd yeah, obviously, the chicken houses are right there. i got to stop and, and I'd let the storm pass because if there's anything that I know about Georgia storms like that, it's that they come quickly and they leave quickly. They wouldn't have been around so long. You know, 10, 15 minutes, could have been up to the house, things would have been fine. We're the same way. We often get caught up in the situations that we're in, and we fail to see the bigger picture. There's a college student that understood this and used this against her parents. She writes a letter to her parents. She says, Dear Mom and Dad, I have so much to tell you. Because of the fire in my dorm set off by student riot, I experienced temporary lung damage and had to go to the hospital. While I was there, I fell in love with an orderly, and we have moved in together. I dropped out of school, and he got fired because of his drinking. So we're going to move to Alaska, where we might get married. Signed, your loving daughter. And then she says, P.S., none of this really happened, but I did flunk my chemistry class, and I wanted to keep it in perspective. You see, she understood that when you really look at the big picture, flunking a chemistry class, eh, you know, doesn't look nearly as bad as all those other things she had just said. She wanted her parents to zoom out and see the big picture. Now, you may ask me, how do I zoom out? Because I've said we need to zoom out. How do I zoom out? And I think that the practical Christian answer for how we zoom out is worship. We worship. Worshiping removes the focus from our circumstances that we're currently in, and it puts the focus back on God, right? It takes the focus off of us, and it puts it back on God. Paul and Silas understood this. In fact, think about it. If they were just sitting quietly in the cell, like not praying and praising God, but not complaining, what do you think would have been going through their mind? Complaint, right? Even sitting there quietly, they probably would have thought to complain. Instead, 
though they focused on God. They took the focus off of themselves and they put it on God by worshiping. And that's the way that we zoom out. We zoom out by worshiping. Is it easy to live a life of worship? I don't think it is. I will admit freely that it comes easier for some than others. And that's why sometimes we may say, well, I'm just a complainer. I was born that way. You know, this person, they, just, they find the good in everything. Right? There are people that, that more naturally can, can, or more easily can worship and see the good. But it's not easy for anyone. Even those people that regularly do it, it comes easier with practice. But it's not easier for, easy for anyone. Nothing is more difficult than praising God when everything seems to be going wrong. See, praising God when things are going good, that's not so bad, right? Now, life is happy, it's easy to praise God. But nothing's more difficult than praising God when things are going wrong. However, one of the purest forms of worship is praising God even when you don't feel like it, even when everything is going wrong, because it shows God that your worship isn't based on circumstances. Your worship isn't based on life being good. See, why should we just worship God when everything's going good, right? Doesn't God deserve our praise all the time? And so that's why there's value in worshiping all the time, even when circumstances are bad, because it shows God that our worship is not based on our circumstances. Instead, that our worship is based on the character of God. George Bernard Shaw said, and this is not really a Christian thing, per se, but I find it fascinating. He says, people are always blaming their circumstances for what they are. I don't believe in circumstances. The people who get on in this world are the people who get up and look for the circumstances they want, and if they can't find them, they make them. Well, that's kind of a handy little thing, and there's probably some truth to that. But, you know, the truth is, is that I'm convinced the most important choice that a Christian can make every day is their attitude, right? So you do have to make your own choices, kind of like George Bernard Shaw said. So your, your way of, of processing forward is making those choices, picking it up, taking it, and making it. And so I'm convinced the most important choice a Christian makes every day is their attitude. Your internal attitudes are more important than your external circumstances. What I've been saying all along, and I'm going to keep repeating this because it's so important. The outcome of your life is determined by your outlook on life. If you have a critical or complaining spirit, then you'll complain until the day you die. It's not just going to magically go away. And your life will get worse and worse. Because over your life, you'll just accumulate more and more negative experiences to complain about. Complaining is not going to make it better for you. If you have a worshipful spirit, life kind of gets better and better. Now, I'm not saying that you're not going to face tough times, right? But your life with God kind of gets better and better because you get tuned in to God. You accumulate positive memories because you're looking for the positive things, right? And not only that, the beauty of worship is that the attitude of worship has a beautiful byproduct. We read about it here in this story that we just read of Paul and Silas. Notice that it says in verse 25, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And this last part is what I want to see. And the prisoners heard them. See, the byproduct of worship is witness. 
And if you're complaining, trust me, you won't be a witness. So by determining to worship, you get a free byproduct. You're not, you're not even saying, I'm going to go out and witness. You get it for free. You worship, it's like buy one, get one, right? You worship, and you witness. It all happens at the same time. I want to tell you another true story about what I call the loneliest whale. Back in 1989, the Navy was doing some exercises, and they heard a sound that was much like like a whale call, right? <clears throat> Y'all know how a whale sounds, right? You, you heard the sound. I mean, it's kind of like, you probably maybe heard recordings of or something like that. It's not really a moan, it's more of a low wail. Sorry, pardon me, pardon me. All right. So, they make that kind of that low wailing sound, right? And, and that's the sound that they, well, well, the name you heard this sound, they recognized kind of the, the, the way that the sound was, but there was a problem, and that is that most whales, when they make their sound, they just a really low pitch sound, they're around somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 15 to 20 hertz. That's, that's where their frequency is. Well, they heard this song that sounded a lot like a whale, but it was 50 hertz instead of 15 to 20. It was much higher pitch. In fact, 50 hertz is the same hertz as the lowest note that a tuba can make. That gives you some reference for your how low they really are, are singing, right? So, but as they started, what they noticed about this whale was that it was, the sound was all by itself, and, and not only that, the, the migration patterns of whales are, have been studied for years, and it wasn't anywhere near any other migration patterns of whales. And then as they dug deeper and started hearing this thing, because they kept hearing it, and that was 1989, and, and they still hear it today, so we're talking almost 30 years that they've been listening to this whale, and this whale sings at 50 hertz, and the problem is, is that the other whales can't hear 50 hertz. And, and this whale can't hear 15 to 20 hertz. So this poor whale has been out there for 30 years, swimming alone in the ocean, saying, somebody loves me. Anybody. I just need a friend. Will anybody talk to me? And he keeps calling out. For 30 years. There's, there's actually an, an expedition that's out now to try to find that whale. It turns out the whales are really hard to find. You can hear them from miles and miles away, but actually locating them and finding them is very difficult because they don't know what this whale is. Like if it's a mix of a couple different breeds or if it's a new breed that they've never seen, they really don't know because no other whale sings at this frequency. Now, I know that's kind of a silly story, and maybe, you, maybe some of you really feel sorry for the poor little whale. But I want to tell you that if you feel sorry for the poor little whale, that there are people out there every single day saying, will somebody love me? Will somebody just talk to me? Will somebody share with me? There are people out there with voids in their life that only God can fill, and they are desperately looking to have it filled. In fact, I think sometimes there are even people with our own congregations that are just saying, hey, somebody? Anybody? And we're too busy about our life to spend any time there. The byproduct 
of worship is witness. If you live a life of worship, then people will see that and they'll be attracted to that and it will give you opportunity to call. I, I go to, I'm, so I've moved now in November, moved up to, to West Virginia, up near the Shenandoah Valley, and, and I work at CLP there in the valley, and so on the way home, I drive up through Timberville, and then I come back and go into West Virginia. Well, Timberville has a Walmart, and we, we live in the back of what in West Virginia they lovingly know of as a holler. Okay? We're in the back of a holler, and, and there's no, no stopping places in the back of a holler. In fact, you can't stop the place really anywhere nearby. So I spend a mess of time in Walmart in Timberville. And it's actually kind of nice. I, I enjoy it. I mean, once again, I told you I'm a social person, right? So I'll, on the way home, I'll drop by Walmart and I'll pick up things, right? And there's this guy at the front door. His name's Juby. And Juby and I are buddies. I'm actually buddies with a whole lot of people that work there because now I know them all, right? And they see me almost every day. But Juby stands at the front door and he's the guy that, you know, checks to make sure that you're not taking out anything that you shouldn't. And every time, Juby would just be like, ah, you're good. Even before he knew me, he'd just be like, ah, you're good. I'd be carrying stuff. One time, I bought an iron and I bought a lamp for my basement. Neither of them did they put in bags. I was carrying them in my hand. And I'm walking out the door and Juby's like, ah, you're good. Didn't even check my receipt. I truly could probably walk out of that store with anything I wanted to, even before I knew this guy. He's pretty, he's pretty laid back. And then I got to the point where I'd be walking up to Doobie, and we just fist bump. And then, then Doobie started asking me questions. And he's like, where do you go to church? I didn't tell him I go to church. Right? But just because the fact that I live my life in, 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 in a worshipful attitude, and I'm not saying that's always the case for me, but, you know, at Walmart, I, I, you know, I try to put it on the best I can, you know, and try to be there, right? And so just because Doobie had seen that, he wanted to talk with me. And now Doobie and I have a relationship, and he's, he's already asked me. He asked me. I didn't offer anything. I mean, I was just living my life, right? And I interacted with him. I talked with him, but I wasn't, I wasn't trying to shove Jesus down his throat, so to speak, right? I wasn't sitting there and saying, you need Jesus, right? Instead, I was just living my life. And now, Doobie, he's already asked me about more information about the Mennonites. And he wants to know how Mennonites compare to other religions out there, because he's seen a lot of Mennonites and he wants to know more about them. And so I've got pamphlets, and I'm getting ready to give Doobie next time I go to Walmart. I'm sitting in my car. And he's waiting for him because he knows I'm going to bring him. The byproduct of worship is witness. What about if you feel like you're just not good enough? I think sometimes we struggle with this. We feel like we're just not good enough. Like we don't have the talent or, or the ability to really be able to effectively spread a witness. Some of you would, would really not specifically want to have to engage Doobie, right? You go to Walmart and you're like, I, I want to get my stuff and get out. Like you, you just don't really feel like engaging a lot of people. And that's fine. We're all made differently. So maybe, maybe you feel like you don't have the talent specifically. We talked a bit about the value that God has given us this morning, so we know that God has given us value, but maybe sometimes we don't feel like we're, we're good enough to be able to do this. We're not talented enough to do this. I wish, I wish that I had, I wish that I could pull up on iTunes and find a recording of Paul and Silas singing in the prison. You reckon like, you reckon that it was like really good singing? Like, you think that it was maybe like something that you, that like, you get a, a whole chorus up here and that's how good they sounded? I don't think so. 
as far as we know, they, they might not could have carried a tune in a bucket, right? But it didn't matter because they were living a life of worship. See, it wasn't about how talented they were. They were just worshiping God. And I can tell you there have been times where I've been driving along in my car and, and I'm listening to a song that really puts me in the spirit of worship and I'm singing along and I don't care how I'm singing. I'm not, I'm not trying to make sure, you know, keep my throat open or, you know, make sure that I'm not sharpening anything, right? In fact, there are times where, you know, I'm even raising my hands and praising the Lord and then driving on my knees for a quick second, right? I'll put them down quick because I'm not going to kill anyone. But you know what I'm saying. It's, it's about the worship experience. It's about worshiping the Lord. And it shouldn't be about showing off our talent. It wasn't for Paul and Silas. We don't have to be this great, amazing singer, or this great, amazing speaker, or this great, amazing anything. God can use each of us with what He has given us. Not only that, God wants to use each of us with what He has given us. I read a very fascinating statistic a couple of years ago. Did you know that research indicates that a person talks to himself or herself about 50,000 times a day. 50,000 times a day you talk to yourself. Further, this research indicates that about 80% of that self-talk that we do is negative. Ah, yeah. We tell ourselves we're not good enough. We're not handsome enough. We're not fast enough. We're not strong enough. We're not whatever. We have all these terrible things that we tell ourselves. The truth is, is that in this negative self-talk, we let everything that's wrong with us keep us from thinking about what's great about God. It's just time that we could be given to God in worship we spend concentrating on how we're not good enough. But I already told you just a moment ago that God can use you the way you are. And let me tell you something else that's even cooler. As you let God use you the way you are, you're going to get better. See, I, I was nervous coming up here to speak. I'm not going to lie. This is the first time I've ever done like five speeches that I had to have already before I came up and stuff like that. But, but I, this is not the first time that I've spoken. There was a first time that I was spoken, right? But I wouldn't be doing this today if I had never spoken. If I had never got up in front of church and had that first devotion, right? There's no way that God could have used me in any other sort of way if I didn't allow that to happen. And it's the same with you. As you allow yourself to be used of God, God will continue to use you. The truth is, the sad truth is, is that we're, we are, are all born somewhat with faith in mind. A pessimist will always see something bad in a good situation, and an optimist will always see something good in a bad situation. However, if you will turn with me to Philippians 4, Paul gives to us a, a delightful list of premeditated mental commitments. Philippians chapter 4, 
We're going to look at verse 8. Paul says here, he lists eight things. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. So, maybe you are a pessimist. Maybe that's just your natural state of mind. But Paul here says, here's eight things. Think on these things. Turn your focus off of yourself and put it back on God. And regardless of whether you're pessimistic or optimistic, God will use you in amazing ways. He wants to use you for His kingdom. Starting today, let's all stop focusing on what's wrong about us and our circumstances. Let's start focusing on what's right about God. If you have some difficulty doing this, I have a very practical suggestion for you. Some years ago, Dorcas, that's my wife, she, she spent a year having a gratitude journal. And every day, she would, in her gratitude journal, she would write down, I don't know how many things, but it was a certain amount of things every day that she was grateful for. And man, you talk about tuning your mind toward the blessings of God. When you're forced, if, if you don't naturally see the things that God has given you and the things to praise God for, do this exercise for a while. Because it trains your mind to start looking for the blessings that God has given you. So, if you are a pessimist, for instance, or if you are a person that, that likes to complain and you want to work on it, use a gratitude journal. Do it for a while. I think you'll be surprised at the difference it makes in your attitude towards the life that you face. See, gratitude is a spiritual discipline that leads our mind to worship. Psalms 103.2 says, Praise the Lord and forget not all His benefits. Now, speaking of benefits, I want us to kind of switch gears for a quick second and say that it has been a tremendous blessing to me to get to hang out with you guys this weekend. I've learned to know a lot of you, and I know there are some that I didn't learn to know, and I'm sorry about that. I wish I had time to learn to know everybody. But I have truly enjoyed getting to know you. I've also been so blessed, and I'm sure you guys have too, by the hospitality of this group here. The food's been amazing. The facility is great. This event is laid out so well. I know y'all have been doing it for years, but you got it down right. I mean, it's really good. The, the youth presidents and, and committee here have done their job well. It's really been a huge blessing to me. And I want to thank you for that. I'm going to go home feeling so very, very blessed from this event. And I thank you all for that. Now, I want to do one more thing in closing. And this is more of a, maybe it's a closing to this, to what I'm talking about today, but I also want it to be a little bit of a closing for the whole weekend. I want to tell you a story. There was an old Cherokee chief that was teaching his grandson about life. And he was sitting there with his little grandson, young grandson, and he sat down with him, and they were sitting next to each other, and he looked at his grandson, and he says, there's a fight going on inside of me. It's, it's a terrible fight. And it's between two wolves. One wolf is evil. He's anger. He's envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, 
resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. And then he said, the other wolf is good. He is joy. He's peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. And then he looked at that young man and said, the same fight is going on inside of you and inside of every other person too. And then he said, Grandpa, which wolf will win? And his grandpa said, the one you feed. So when you go from here, feed the right wolf. 